Okay, welcome back to Better Matt's Marvelous Adventure. This is episode 17 of our deep dive into the entire history of the MCU. Episode 17 would mean it's Thor Ragnarok. It would also mean we've reached the penultimate stop on the, the podcast proper that is leading to Infinity War. Sad times. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined, as always, by Ben Phillips. Ben, how are you? I am very full right now. Yeah, same. I ate too much of a pizza. Literally, the last time I had a pizza, I was like, I can't keep eating entire pizzas in one sitting. I'm not, I'm not under twenty five anymore. And I, I did it, and I'm full. Oh god, no, I'm not under twenty five now either. Sad times, as us two old men talk about comic book movies <laughs> for hours and hours. So it's only been five days since I turned twenty six. So. Yeah, and I turned twenty nine in like less than a month. <laughs> when you hear this, it might almost be about to happen. Uh, so this is Thor Ragnarok. This was a joyous, joyous revelation in to the MCU. For me, potentially the most purely fun Marvel film I've seen since Iron Man 1. I don't, I don't know. It's difficult to like completely transport yourself back to that cinema experience or that first viewing and sort of remember everything, but I think it's very telling that for both of us this is the second time we've seen it, and until I rewatched it I was like, you know what, there's a strong chance this might be my absolute favourite film. I don't know. And I've watched it and I think I would slide it down like one ranking in my overall, and I feel bad to do it like that because it is a hell of a lot of fun. When this movie gets going, it's probably got some of the best stuff in the entire MCU, but there's a lot of baggage. Yeah, there is, because it's doing damage control on a trilogy in the third part of reasonably yeah. popular a- character who's been in a bunch of movies at this point but they were just like we're starting again sort of potentially ending it but starting again while we're here this is the only movie series in the mcu where there's a different director for each installment every other one of these they settle into a director for at least two movies and then someone else comes on to finish it or someone else ends it but yeah. this is the only one where there's been a the, the writers have stayed fairly the same throughout haven't they uh, yeah, but, yeah 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 yeah. they've been involved since day one really yeah but then this movie is obviously I, I think that script is an outline. If Taika is to be taken seriously, 80% improvised dialogue. Yeah, I do not doubt that at all. Based on like the way these lines are delivered, there is no way. There's a lot of like odd angles because it's like this is literally the only take of this that exists. <laughs> so <laughs> this is how they're going to look when they're saying this. First and foremost, it plays far more to Chris Hemsworth's strengths and I think it achieves the kind of campy space rainbows, big glam, gods, monsters, everything's colourful feel of the classic book, which I'm sure you were going to talk about as Jack Kirby as hell. And it's kind of crazy that it took us 17 movies to make a film that is Jack Kirby as hell, considering what he did for Marvel. Yeah, I think Tiger was saying when the movie came out, he fought for the font to be... It's the Kirby font. It's got Kirby dots in the title. It, it's the only one that he could really do in this way, because as, as much as like Kirby is an influence on all of these comic books, Thor and Fantastic Four are probably the two that most people think about at Marvel. But, I mean, to, to preface some of the stuff I'm going to say later on about the comic book stuff, Marvel and DC are both building their cinematic universe around characters that Jack Kirby created and that he's a big deal in the world of this stuff where like he is one man who has got so much seeding of both cinematic universes. And before I get into it again, I think the, the absolute biggest thing you can say, as, as we've said, it's this massive reboot. We did at uh, EnterTheRealWorld.com with two E's, Real World, 
uh, a listicle type article you me and a mike did and it was shortly after the film came out we we had these questions we we it was all great real fun and you made mention of how it's like an enormous statement of intent and you look at how much of a break from previous ones this is with so many characters not returning natalie portman declined and said she wouldn't do a marvel film again although i think as recently as two weeks ago she said she would but hey some skarsgård's not back kat dennings isn't back jamie alexander was almost in it but then couldn't be because of blind spot the warriors three all die and asgard is literally destroyed and look at what happens to thor himself so it's, it's very very bold to do and what did they have to lose at this point after two not amazing films in this thor franchise i mean that's the thing like at this point the marvel universe is making a base level of money and the thor movies are not really overachieving that base level of money mm. so it's like well if we do something completely different, it's not going to make less money than Ant-Man. So why not do something different? If it goes well, then it goes well. If it doesn't go well, then we're not going to lose anything because the movie's going to make money because we've made this machine be almost impossible to lose money at this point. And he just disappears into team-up movies or something. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so, release November 3rd, 2017. My God, we are creeping right up to present day. This took Black Panther's original spot because Spider-Man took it. Something happened with Guardians and Spider-Man and Black Panther. And, and this they all swapped around 2017 of course the 55th anniversary of thor and hulk and the 100th birthday or birthday year of jack kirby who will be getting a little shout out from ben i believe it's 130 minutes long 15 minutes longer than the first two and it uses that time well i think i know there are times where you feel it's just to spoil your opinions on it you just want them to get to sakar as quickly as possible but i don't think there's any dead weight here particularly no um, i don't i don't think there's dead weight but it's just like i think this movie hits another gear when oh, we get yeah. to sakar watching it the first act of this movie is very much like there's the opening scene there's the bit on asgard there's the bit on earth and then they're then they're off to sakar and like those three parts felt very segmented to me that that the rest of the movie didn't and i think it, it would like that just kind of like choppy pace of like it had to spool down spool up over and over again that yeah, was they, just like... they had a tick box for the other bits and then sakar is just sakar all yeah. of the prom- promotional material is on Sakaar, pretty much. Oh, we'll, do, we'll discuss the promotional material and how much <laughs> I wish they hadn't revealed. But. Oh, yes. Budget, $180 million. Only $10 million more than The Dark World. So, you know, while they want to try something different, they're not willing to just throw all the money in the world at them. I say as if just short of $200 million is chump change. It made $854 million, so a steady increase of $200 million per Thor film. The numbers go up, so we're happy, I guess. So, $180 million they spent this movie is obviously the budget, but I feel like this movie was marketed so much more than either the two previous four movies like obviously i saw them around but this this movie i felt like the ad campaign for it was on another level i think it's one of those one of those things where like you watch it and you realize that marvel knew that they had something potentially massive on their hands here and so many trailers and like team thor all of that stuff and also like the the poster campaign was so damn good like i'm staring at the theatrical release poster which is the one with all the concentric circles and it's just a thing of beauty yes Directed by Taika Waititi, which is a shocking revelation to me on how you pronounce his name, based on uh, him doing an intro for the film. I've been saying Waititi all these years. It's Waititi, but if I slip and say Waititi, sorry. He is, <laughs> I say, famous for. Uh, he did films called What We Do in the Shadows and Eagle vs. Shark. Uh, he is an Academy Award nominee, but this is not 
a name. This is a very risky hire from a company that has made a lot of risky hires, and it really kind of shows that they were going in a very different direction for this one. Yeah, probably like the most high-profile thing he's ever done before this is his supporting role in the Green Lantern movie. Why? Why then? Why why bring these things up? I mean, what am I going to say? Like, he directed some episodes of like, The Concords. People know that. If you if you haven't seen Hunt for the World of People, definitely see Hunt for the World of People. I know you're a big fan of what we do in the shadows as I well. I sure am, and I believe he's making TV show version of that now. And allegedly he's going to play Hitler in his next film. <laughs> An imaginary Hitler in someone's head. So, uh. you know, he likes, to, he likes to get out there. I think he's turned down a whole bunch of high-profile films to make a, a World War II movie with Scarlett Johansson where he plays imaginary Hitler. <laughs> so, you know, using that MCU connection to cast her, I guess. So written by Eric Pearson of the Marvel Writers Program and the One Shots. He did some writing for Spider-Man Homecoming. He did uncredited work on Ant-Man. He actually came in after the, the writing team of Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, who are the guys that have been there from day one. They've been executive producers on the films they invented x-23 they worked on x-men evolution wolverine and the x-men those fine fine cartoons there's some sort of controversy about their status as writers versus story credit because stephanie Folsom was hired between them and eric pearson to work on it and ultimately denied any credit whatsoever the, w- um, the wg has got very strict and weird rules yes they went really back and forth on what the credits were here and i think it ended up with script by pearson and kyle and yost story by kyle and yost i don't know i think that's the issue is that like that's three yeah. credits Tyker doesn't have a credit for the script which yeah i was is... about to say he he clearly added a lot of jokes and his claims about the improv and his style generally i feel he has to have some more tertiary over it but yeah. So, yeah i mean i i'd be shocked if anything that comes out of korg's mouth in this movie was written in a script <laughs> God, <no. laughs> okay so a third film in the thor franchise was confirmed in january 2014 despite the poor response to the dark world which only came out a few months earlier Kim feige remained optimistic he had a story very clearly in mind and they announced this Ragnarok title a few months later after Alan Taylor chose not to return <laughs> because he hated what they did to his film in the edit and Kenneth Branagh opted not to come back as well yes they went to Kenneth Branagh immediately after Alan Taylor Marvel narrowed their search down to Rob Letterman who did the most recent Goosebumps and Gulliver's Travels Ruben Fleischer Rawson Th- Marshall Thurber we mentioned them they were uh, on the shortlist for Ant-Man and then Taika YTT as well. Marvel had 10 concepts that came, I guess, from these writers that they liked, and they gave these 10 concepts to these directors and said, come back with a clear picture of what the film is. And Taika got the role in late 2015. He went against Marvel best practices by creating a sizzle reel using like clips from Big Trouble in Little China, and it was all set to the Immigrant Song, which is, of course, going to end up featured heavily in the film. He previously was quoted saying he would not really like to direct a big feature, but in he came to do this, in he came breaking the rules, much much like several of the actors and directors who have gotten jobs with Marvel broke their rules and still got jobs. I think these rules aren't real, Ben. Uh, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth gets his long-time wish of filming entirely in Australia, which I'm sure helped Taika as well, as he is from New Zealand, of course. The idea of including Hulk actually came pretty early on, because the rights issues, they can't do solo Hulk films, but they can feature him in other people's movies, and they had this really strong desire to do something very, very different with Thor, namely Take him to space. Early on, they were jokingly calling it Planet Thor as an obvious reference to Planet Hulk. Beta Ray 
Bill and Boulder and Valkyrie and Hela and Loki were all in various versions of the script. The Midgar Serpent. Some of them made it to the final version. Some of them did. One day Boulder will get a movie. Hemsworth in particular was looking to get a much lighter tone. He saw Guardians of the Galaxy and was like, do that for me, I think, essentially. <laughs> and then he, he spoke to the Russos about what Thor was going to do in Infinity War to make sure things link up. As of this recording, there are reports that Thor is essentially the second main character after Thanos. And hopefully a lot of what they establish in this film is going to carry forward. Will he live? Will he die? Who knows? So at certain points in development, you heard these words like buddy movie, road movie, all this kind of stuff, 48 hours, planes, trains, and automobiles, big trouble in little China, all that kind of stuff. Taika also took Flash Gordon as a big inspiration. He also, because he's a very nice man, made an effort to hire indigenous and Aboriginal Australians and New Zealanders for the departments of the film. Good for him. And also there's a strange desire for John C. Riley to reprise his role as Roman Day from Guardians of the Galaxy. He wasn't bad by any means, but it's a weird one to keep popping up that people want to People make. really like John C. Riley. I think that's it. I think they just want to improvise with John C. Riley for a bit. Anyway, that's everything on Thor. So, Ben, you can talk about Planet Hulk. You can talk about Jack Kirby. I think I know which one you're going to do. This movie is not based on any comic story from Thor, really. Like, there are multiple Thor stories that deal with the idea of Ragnarok, including one very famous one where Hulk, where Thor dies at the end. Not the first time. Not the first time, but yeah, Thor dies at the end, and he's literally off the table for a few years in the middle there. There's a Thor robot that comes along and is involved in the Civil War. Uh, Call Ragnarok. Call Ragnarok, yeah. It's all full circle. But we've already discussed the comic series where he comes back, because that is what the first Thor movie is based on. So I guess like we have to actually talk about the comic book that this movie is based on, which is Planet Hulk uh, by Greg Pak, and, oh god, I'm not even going to try and say the name of the artist on that story. You're a good person Carlo, for trying every time, though. <laughs> Carlo Pagulian. Pagulian. Layan. Pagulian. And Aaron Lopresti, probably one of the most famous Hulk stories of the last 20 years or so, which is basically the Illuminati, don't ask, fire Hulk off into space because they feel it's going to be too dangerous to come to, to be on Earth. He, instead of landing on the planet they have set out for him, lands up, lands on a planet which is civilised and turns him into a gladiator. Eventually, he completely takes over the entire planet. And, I mean, there's implications that he sleeps his way around the planet as well. Sure does. Uh, has him himself a son has himself a son and then he comes back to earth and has a big fight but we don't really get that in this movie but yeah so the bare bones of this movie are based on planet hulk which is a good comic book there's an animated Um, version of it as well it's okay so that is where the the plot came from but this movie is not represented here other than thor and hulk have a fight in a gladiator arena what we really want to talk about is just this movie is so jack kirby isn't it? There's a street on Sakaar called Kirby Street or something, I think. So Jack Kirby has obviously like come up in pretty much every episode we've done. He created Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, The Avengers, Ant-Man. He has had his fingers in pretty much every single pie that Marvel's put out. He is, I'm going to state this now as a fact, the greatest comic book artist ever. Quite probably. This is a man that has defined not just Marvel Comics, but DC Comics for so long. As you said earlier, like I'm shocked that it's taken them this long to do something that's so obviously indebted to his art style. Obviously, Jack Kirby's most famous comic book is The Fantastic Four, but I would say his stuff on Thor is, is a step below. I think he finished his Thor run whilst doing Fantastic Four at the same time, but he even when you're talking about when Watt Simonson came on to do his Thor run, he basically took Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's Thor run and said, if they did a story involving this character, I'm going to do a story involving this character because, yeah, Jack Kirby is just so damn good and this movie is so colourful and there's Kirby dots and all the monsters look like they were designed by Jack Kirby. Just, oh God, this is so glorious. It's the most comic booky movie it that is. Marvel have put out at this point. And... 
it's so glorious because of it. Taika Waititi has been talking about how he wanted to do this. You hear the people behind the scenes talk about it, and he's actually a fan of the comic books, and he's actually a fan of the style of it all, and he tried to put that on screen, and yeah. it comes along so well, and this feels like a tribute to Jack Kirby. Yeah, I and... feel other films have, like, name-checked him, as one must. As one must say, this is what we want this to be, the Dark Knight version of this, and you have to say this person and that person and this thing, but this is the first time it's for realsies. Obviously, Jack Kirby died about 30 years ago now, but I would love to see what his reaction to... I mean, because obviously, like, these movies are based on stuff that he co-created, and I don't know what his reaction would be, but I hope he would be very pleased to see his artwork literally put onto screen with a budget and a care and a loving level of attention to detail across all of it. Like, there's pictures of the set, and they've gone in depth and put, like, little Kirby dots and stuff like that on all the pieces of the set and all the rest of it, and it's just... Yeah. this. this I, movie... I love all the just incidental background shit on Sika. Like, I love the look of all the just random dudes, the, like, Power Rangers-ass, colour-coded, random night soldier people that Valkyrie's drinking with and just that are dotted around the palace and it's all just great it's just yeah space opera nonsense in the, the best it's... possible way because obviously like this movie doesn't exist without Guardians of the Galaxy no and the cosmic I'm... universe we've said previously that like the cinematography of these movies gets a lot better with phase three and it's just nice to see that Marvel actually going for styles yeah. and committing to them which yeah this movie does in spades like this movie has a style which is so unlike any other movie in this franchise phase three the, the most comic booky phase the most stylish phase the best phase the best phase the yeah. best phase Okay, so our film begins on Muspelheim, which is the domain of the villainous Surtur, who's basically Satan, a, a giant fire monster with horns and shit. He's pretty fun. Thor is his apparent prisoner. He's been on a quest to find the Infinity Stone since Age of Ultron. He has failed, but come across the path of Surtur, who claims Odin is no longer on Asgard, despite what Thor thinks. And he makes mention of this prophesized Ragnarok. And Thor, of course, breaks free and returns home. So we start straight away with Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Some of the very earliest jokes, I think, are a little bit try-hardy, as they're like, look, he's funny now, or like, he's He's permanently funny now, it would be more accurate, because he's always had a few pretty good one-liners. There's also a looseness to it that I think really works, as he's, like, sitting in the cell and spinning around the chain and all that. Like, he's admitted he got very bored of the character, hence all these radical changes, because by the end of this film, he's going to have short hair, no hammer, one eye, and Taika talked about wanting to unleash his comedic abilities, and I think, while not all of it lands, straight away from the word go, he's cracking jokes we get the first scene is like him talking to a skeleton and being very flippant about him not finding any infinity stones yes <laughs> it does, does, he, does he refer to them as sort of like come up colorful infinity stones yeah something like that <laughs> i love how he doesn't take any of it seriously while also taking it the most seriously <laughs> clancy brown and taika waititi uh between them play Surtur. clancy brown is mr Krabs, but also one of the rare few who gets two roles within the mcu because he is in daredevil and Punisher. As Frank Castle's former CEO. The only, only crossovers are allowed to happen between TV and movies because movies yes. can just ignore that TV exists. This is true. Well, is Martin Starr playing the same character? We, we don't know. He, he's just a big monologuing fire demon. I really like his design. Like, it's super, like, old school, demonic, huge creature. But I just think this opening scene, because it immediately just dissolves into just a massive fight with Thor versus many demons. And it just is a really good way to establish straight away, guys, 
we're just gonna have fun because here's Led Zeppelin, here's Thor fighting just a legion of demons with his hammer, and oh look, don't look now, but he's a giant freaking dragon is chasing him across hell. It's stealthily one of the more fun action scenes in all of Marvel. I am genuinely stunned we haven't really had the single tracking shot tracing the, the hammer done to this extent yet. <laughs> like that one scene where the hammer's just at the center of the screen and it's just smashing through the fire demons is ah, I, yes. like, I was sat there watching it and just being like how have we not seen this done more yeah. often obviously like they've done stuff with the hammer and followed the hammer around with the camera and stuff like that but like not even they weren't doing it in the Avengers I feel like they might have done one bit of it in Thor the Dark World but this is the most confident use yeah. of the hammer as cinematography device that yeah. we get so far and obviously they have to do that because the hammer's not going to be a part of this movie for much longer no <laughs> um, so it's nice to see that we actually get like one extended show of this is how awesome the hammer is they fit a lot of good hammer play in here and in the next scene I do think my favourite beat is when he's trying to escape the dragon and he just puts the hammer down in its mouth and <laughs> like it just it just can't move <laughs> yes 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 always a good move did it to Loki in the first film always fun I mean he's fighting faceless things Things, but it's just so fun and alive with lightning and, and hammers and music and fire and colours and it's just great. I am intrigued because obviously like Surtur is a big deal for Thor fans because obviously like he is the person who causes Ragnarok, he's a big part of Walter Simonson's run he's the doom, doom, doom that's kind of like along the bottom of the page Prophecy, for most of the Yes, and this movie I mean this movie honours Surtur quite impressively but yes. people were expecting Serta to be the villain of his own movie and uh, the promotional material like yeah, prominently features him well not prominently but you know he's he's right there and it was like oh Serta's here he's gonna be the one pulling the strings but instead it's yeah. like I mean I don't know if you would have expected him to come back at the end if not for the fact you've seen Hulk tries to fight him that is the one issue it's just one of those interesting things because like Serta's one of my favorite parts of one of my favorite Asgard tangential books and like basically my entire dream is that they'll adapt Kieran Gillen's young Loki run at some point and I'm still holding out hope that Surtur will get to come into that because it's a really awesome way that he comes into it but it's just what like well he, survi- he survives this movie and if they're going to do another Thor film and maybe they'll have to go fight him but this movie does both Hela and Surtur and it almost feels like it's more obligated to do it than anything well it's I a think. pretty it's a major villain they haven't used. like Taika talks about how he doesn't know if he's ever going to get to direct this movie again well he's obviously not going to get to direct this movie again but this could be his only go around with the mcu so he wants to do everything that he wanted in one go there's clearly enough here i think to make more than one film uh, i think i talked about it in that list where in a perfect world taika would have directed the first movie and then sakar would have been its own middle chapter and then there would have been something with serta at the end i don't know yeah it's, um, it's just i don't think this movie short serves serta or hella at the end of it but it's one of those things where it's just i kind of want more of them though because yeah. they're such iconic thor villains and it's a different reaction i had to malekith where they fuck Malekith or they fuck up Malekith so badly. No, they fuck him. <laughs> they fuck him into the dirt. They give him no backstory and he just stands there being weird. And then this movie just gets, I mean, Surtur's great fun. He looks great. And then Hela's just, I mean, Kate Blanchett obviously having a, like a hell of a time. Being melodramatic. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things where like, I like that there's not enough to make them feel st- stale but also not enough to make me feel like I, I want more of them at yes. the end of the day if you'd gone for just one or the other you'd probably have one of the better villains in the franchise but instead they're both just decent 
So you mentioned Loki, and I mentioned the next scene with the hammer and the fun stuff. Thor returns home to Asgard and discovers Surtur's claims to be true, exposing Loki's masquerade as their father, as we saw at the end of the previous film. Like He has disguised himself as Odin and is playing dead, and he demands Loki show him where Odin is. And after initially coming up empty, they are directed to Norway by Dr. Stephen Strange. So, Loki's play is a stroke of genius. He is putting on a little play as Odin, honouring the sacrifice of the noble Loki. And uh, it stars Sam Neill as Odin, Liam Hemsworth as Thor, and Matt frickin' Damon as Loki. <laughs> you said Liam Hemsworth credit wrong. Did I? Yes, the lessest Hemsworth. The leastest, okay. Really, so it goes Chris, Luke, Liam, okay. Well, yeah, Luke's got fame. Liam's got... Isn't Liam the Hunger Games one? Liam's in Hunger Games. Luke's the one who's got a in role Westworld. in... Westworld. Yeah. Westworld, yeah, who who I didn't know was going to be back until a couple of days ago when I saw him and, in the trailer. Uh, this play, I think, is really, really fun. The Matt Damon cameo out of completely nowhere. It just destroyed me when I saw it for the first time. I just wanted to tell everyone. I even managed to cram in a reference to the time when Thor was a frog in this little play. Damon was secured by Hemsworth, their friends, because all famous people are just friends. He flew from New York to Atlanta, filmed this scene, and then went back. Good for him. After saying he wouldn't do one of these movies, and turning down a substantial role in Homecoming, the second one, I assume, he did this, though. So, yeah. I really like... Because Anthony Hopkins, we're going to talk about him next, but he is briefly here, and his take of, oh shit, when (laughs) Thor returns is just wonderful stuff and then when Loki is revealed obviously like, that's that's all good stuff I love the way they do that with Thor chucking the hammer up in the air a little bit higher and tossing it like 10 feet away and it coming back and then just you know throwing it and holding his hand behind his face really good use of the hammer and a fun way to essentially make that big cliffhanger at the end of the second one mean nothing while also addressing it I think it's a good way to undo a knot that they tied themselves in I genuinely didn't know when in promotion of this movie like whether or not they'd even touch on it because Anthony Hopkins is barely in the trailer for this movie and there's a lot of Loki well there's a reason that he's not in which I would do but reason but it's, like, again it's just one of those things where like watching it i'm just like how are they going to get themselves out of it and i mean it's it's better than what they do in avengers age of ultron after iron man 3 um <laughs> just don't say anything did not happen the cliffhanger of the previous movie is not a thing we even care about yes, whereas but... this actually takes 10 minutes and make a joke out of it which Indeed, which is good when in doubt make jokes so we get some classic thor and loki on earth in human clothes i say human well they're Asgardians, so they're not human. Yeah, human clothes. Thor taking selfies with girls is fun. I like that he turns the hammer into an umbrella. Sort of a reference to the old comics where he was Donald Blake and he had a walking stick or whatever and he'd tap it on the ground and become Thor. So Benedict Cumberbatch is back as Doctor Strange. This serves Doctor Strange far more than it serves Thor. That movie did a bunch of money. But they couldn't have known that ahead of time, so I, I guess they just wanted to like fully integrate Strange so that as many eyes were on him as possible before Infinity War or whatever. His powers have massively increased since his solo movie. I don't uh, like his gloves. Yeah, the little reference to the old gloves. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan either. <laughs> this, of course, is a scene that featured in the credits of Doctor Strange with magically refilling beer and, and you know, I, I will help you with, with Odin and all this stuff. And Taika obviously filmed it before they got rid of the sets from Doctor Strange. It's 
fine. It's fun. I could live without it, but it's a change of pace, certainly. It changes the the way magic works in the MCU, because the entire Doctor Strange movie shows this very, like, physical, sparks, things kind of magic. And Thor has previously said, I come from a place where science and magic are the same, and all this kind of stuff. And now we've got just instant teleportation and Thor looking confused as hell. And furthermore, multiple characters in this, we go back to the idea that they're gods after we previously were going with, nah, they're a race of aliens that humans worshipped as gods. I've ultimately decided to just not take any of this seriously and just go, it's a comedy and they're just saying dumb shit. But it is a slight break in continuity, I feel. I think it's like it's similar to the comic books where like at some points that's what the Asgardians are is they're just a race that humans worship and then at other points like I mean obviously the whole Jason Aaron's Gore the God Butcher they are very explicitly gods place whether or not they are just elevated beings who are worshipped as gods and by being worshipped is what makes them gods rather than actually like being gods if that makes sense it's one of those weird philosophical things this Doctor Strange scene is probably the only thing I would like cut from the movie Yeah, I still like like it i still like some of the beats i like um thor standing there waiting for the hammer to show up and like apologizing for <laughs> smashing everything up loki going to ready to getting ready to stab doctor strange and then being jumped through a portal and he's been um, falling for 30 minutes yeah like there's there's good little comedy beats i just think there's it's a, a bit it's a much. massive sidetrack it's a massive sidetrack for very little payoff in that the only revelation is odin's well, in odin norway is, yes. yeah he's in norway not a new york subway area so yeah a dying odin reveals that his daughter Hela will be released from her prison as soon as he dies. He has his emotional goodbye with his sons. Hela is indeed restored. The bros try and fight her. She immediately destroys Mia Mia, and then Loki calls for the Bifrost against Thor's wishes, and she follows them and throws them out of it as they all attempt to return to Asgard. So Anthony Hopkins is back as Odin. He initially turned down a return, but he then eventually read a script and changed his mind, and then showed up, and they said, we're not going to follow the script. (laughs) (laughs) You may have seen photos ahead of time you may have seen even in the trailers some scenes taking place in like very clearly the streets of new york in side alleys odin was originally going to be a crazy hobo who's kind of shouting about the end of the world on the street and it did not test well at all and taika said something about it feeling tragic in not a good way (laughs) like more sad than like poetic or anything like that so they completely changed that to norway and you know it's not as good as his stuff in the first one it's probably better than the second one he is a little bit of that sort of lost older actor in a big modern movie but it is kind of a fitting end to his character standing there with his sons and when he says i love you my sons and loki's like little reaction to that that's a very nice moment i think it's a nice capper to a character that hasn't always been well served. No. Especially because, like, it does feel like they're going through the motions of, we need to clear the board before we get to the fun stuff, but when you've got Anthony Hopkins, you do want to give him, like, that one last emotional beat before you send him on his way. And I'm glad this isn't the last point you see him in the movie. They still, they do still remember that, like, he's indebted to them, and, like, there's a, there's relationships here that can still be mined for something, even if it probably is past you that this character does leave the franchise. And also, anytime he standing in the middle and Thor and Loki are on either side of him. I generally like that as a camera shot. Mm. Uh, so Cape Blanchett is Hela. Technically a Disney princess? <laughs> Probably not going to be invited to Disneyland though. They considered Shelley's Theron, so they clearly had a type here. Her children are huge Marvel fans, and her son even had the temerity to tell her it would be a huge career boost. 
Oscar-winning actress <laughs> Kate Blanchett given advice on her career from her son there. She wanted to wear the full headdress as a physical prop. It is entirely CG, of course. She also struggled a little bit with the motion capture suit and the heavy use of effects, but I think she does her best with it for no reason at all. She studied capoeira. She never does any, but, you know, it's <laughs> cool she did it. I super dig the design. I love the horns. I love when she wipes her hair back and it goes into the horns. I love the summoning of the weapons, which is taken from gore, as, as you said, from Jason Aaron's run. For a good long while, Hella out with her headdress on my background picture on my laptop. They got replaced by something else fairly recently, but I'm not allowed to talk about that TV show on this podcast, so... No, you're not. Eric Pearson elected to switch, because obviously in the comics uh, she has the blood ties to Loki, not Thor, but they switched it because they thought it would be more dramatic to have Thor go toe-to-toe with his sister at the end of the movie. I'm not sure that necessarily actually helps anything, but there's certainly no need to get into the convoluted whole like, Loki's got kids, one of them's the goddess of death and one of them's a giant wolf. Don't worry about it. That gets even more fun when you go into Journey to Mystery. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, so in her very first act, she smushes yeah yeah and you know that's a classic here's how you show someone's powerful we we had bucky catching cap shield and now we've got her breaking mjolnir some part of me is like oh a secret sister and oh she was the evil one i had to lock her away and now she's back it, it all happens a bit quickly but that's necessary because you want to get going but it does kind of feel like she would have been better served by a movie devoted to her but then we wouldn't have got the sakar stuff so i'm not going to wish for it too hard yeah, it feels potentially like they were going to do a full Hella movie and then they were just like, oh no, but this would be really fun to do Hulk instead. I mean, she we don't just... see her die, so she no. she may return. I highly doubt she will. But it, again, it's one of those things where the movie does take an effort to like actually show what she's up to on Asgard, which I do appreciate. Because yes. the movie could have totally just gone, we'll come back to it and Asgard will be in flames. You do get those periodic check-ins back on Asgard to show that we're not just giving Kate Blanchett a paycheck for this first scene and then her fight with Thor at the end. <laughs> Yes, this is true. Not a Tilda Swinton situation. I mean, she's Kate Blanchett, for one thing, so she's going to have presence, and the look is certainly fantastic. Yeah, I mean, maybe this will come back up in Villain Watch and just over the course of the film. Right now, actually, because upon her arrival in Asgard, she just obliterates all the defences. She kills the Warriors 3, two of them in, like, literally five seconds, and then she resurrects her dead army, the wolf Fenrir, and recruits <laughs> Scourge as her executioner. The only, like, person that we like on Asgard who survives really is Heimdall who manages to steal the sword that makes the Bifrost work and he just becomes this little like a revolutionary man who's smuggling people out and protecting people and all this stuff. Do we pour out a drink for the once and future Shazam? So Zachary Levi after not being able to do the first one coming back from the second one and then it's like hey dude who's sort of famous you know you had your own show at this point you weren't shazam but you're gonna be do you want to come in and just die immediately sure why not also ray stevenson you as well off you die tadanabu asano however gets his most screen time ever it just feels like a massive like apology to him for how they've treated him in the past what you mean like in full dark world where they literally go ah you stay on this planet now yeah, fuck off for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, he still super dies. But again, killing them immediately. A big statement of intent. Carl Urban, 
is Scourge. He got into shape despite his physique being hidden by a massive costume. He is not on any of the posters, I believe. So it sucks to be you, Carl. He is on the box and his name is on there, so... Okay. While I have issues about why Hela would even bother recruiting him given her level of power and undead army, I think he's fun in his sort of limited number of scenes. He's a great big idiot. Every Asgardian we've seen other than Loki pretty much has been like pure good and it's nice to see that there are like dickheads on Asgard. Behold my stuff, Loki. Ladies, that kind of thing. He's got his guns from Tex Ars. I mean, look, you, you've got Hitler, you've got the stuff on Sakaar. There's not time for you, Scourge. But Carl Urban is a good actor who I would like to see succeed more, and it's fun that we get him here, I suppose. He is very fun. Yeah, we'll get his big moment at the end, that's why he's here. Idris Elba is back as Heimdall. It's his highest billing to date, despite it being his least screen time. Ditto for Tom Hiddleston. Funny how that works out. His little plot as this sort of dreadlocked revolutionary man. It might be the most fun thing he's done in Thor, but he's like not in it very much, and it's a very busy film, and he is in Infinity War, but I mean, I can't imagine he is long for the MCU. I mean, he's technically here. Do you reckon, like, so, some of this stuff was, like, to apologise for dragging him onto the set for Avengers Age of Ultron? Here's our apology. You have to have dreadlocks. <laughs> like... I, I see. I, I can see that being, like, what do you want to look like in this movie? And okay. to design his character. That would be cool, actually. Uh, fair enough. This is his smallest role, and yet it feels bigger somehow than he than he has before he's being a hero in the yeah. other ones he kind of like he he gets heroic moments but in this one he is like the last bastion on asgard yeah. to like protecting everyone which... murdering zombies all the time it's great fun. yeah hella's little reveal of the secret ceiling in the in the throne room and sort of her info dump about how she and odin together were conquering the nine realms and then he feared her ambition and locked her away colonialism it's bad <laughs> Yup, told to you by a Maori person. Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of cool. I like the way that that's all represented in in painting. And then you know you got the secret vault with all the all the zombie people she brings back. A little bit generic, but. I guess kind of fun. We do also have the bit in the vault beforehand where she pushes <laughs> over the Infinity Gauntlet and it's just fake. like fake. Finally, years of why yeah. are there two Infinity Gauntlets, Matt? Because Odin couldn't get the real one, so, so he, he would. One. Yeah, that's so Odin. That's so Odin. There's it does. Sound, it does sound very Odin to be like, oh look, I've definitely got the Infinity Gauntlet right here. Can you imagine if the end of this movie, like you know, they touched the crown of Serta to the Eternal Flame and it wasn't the real Eternal Flame, and then Hela just kills them all. <laughs> End of movie. Odin! Anyway. I like that she has such a big reaction to, like, faked pushing over the Infinity Gauntlet yeah. and then just kind of, like, looks at the Tesseract and goes, ooh, that's good. It's like, yeah. right, but you're not commenting on the fact that they're related in some way. No, 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 no. We're very firmly establishing that that Tesseract is still there and that will come up. So, our fun time pal Thor finds himself on Sakaar, which is a big garbage planet ruled by the Grand Master, who amuses himself by making poor people fight in gladiatorial arenas. He's immediately captured by Scrapper142, who he eventually recognises as a former Valkyrie. Hela slaughtered the Valkyries a long time ago. Thor is fitted with an obedience collar, which shocks him when he tries to do things they don't like. He is forced to compete in the contest of champions, finding himself matched up against the Hulk, the one and only Hulk. As Loki looks on, he has befriended the Grandmaster uh, while Thor's been 
being captured. So we've got a lot happening here. This will probably be the longest section of the podcast, but Tessa Thompson is Valkyrie. Tessa Thompson is Bay. She is very obviously getting the all-Marvel performance for this episode. Spoilers, Matthew! Well, come the fuck on now. Very obviously a different look to uh, Brunhilde, or Brunhilde, as who she is based on, in that she is not white or blonde. Fucking um, racists. Yeah, I'd, knowing humans, she probably got abuse, but fuck off. Feige wanted a love interest more on Thor's level. Hot diss to Jane, whose intelligence apparently is not valued compared to Thor's mighty biceps. Kyle and Yost's original script had it as more of a traditional love story romance thing. Eric Pearson decided to pull that back and do this, where there's more emphasis on her trauma of barely surviving the slaughter of the Valkyrie, of her alcoholism, and just a thing that is more a a respect-based flirtationship, rather than it ends with a big kiss or anything. They certainly yeah. I fuck the shit out of each other at oh, times. Oh, that's, that's but... the thing, is like, I, they seem so much less like a love interest thing, rather than at the end of this they just want to, like, bang. When she says, like, you know, don't get killed or whatever, it's got this very clear undertone of, you know what we're gonna do afterwards. I love the accent. She is an accent machine. If you've seen her in Creed doing the thick Philadelphia accent and then switching up to this quasi-British accent and just great, great stuff. She has a really good, like, authentic energy to her, does a lot of good little, like, looks and, and things to the side and just everything about her is fucking amazing. Right down to Tess Thompson making the claim that she is bisexual so go Marvel with your inclusion of things that aren't actually stated within the source material <laughs> but never I mind. actually forgot to look on the Blu-ray to see whether or not there is the deleted scene of like the girl leaving her room or her leaving the girl's room I forget which way around it was that they said they filmed. So I, I, need I watched to actually... all the deleted scenes on. I mean, I've got it digitally, which is normally the same as the Blu-ray, and it's not there. But uh... that doesn't. I don't know. It might be out there somewhere. The flashback scene, which you know Loki makes her relive when they cross paths, super beautiful as, as they ride on their winged horses towards Hela. Super, super slow motion with strobe light and everything. Like really surreal. It's it's great. And like you know, we see a character that looks far more like the famed Valkyrie character, basically taking not a bullet but a sword for her I mean we're going to call her Valkyrie but that isn't her name but we're going to call her Valkyrie uh, and her you know being the last survivor and then just being so drunk she falls off the, the ramp of her own ship and when she admits she's got the alcohol problem and, and, and Thor says about it and she's like oh I'm going to keep drinking but also this we can like, just list her moments but... yeah she is I was tempted to just go through a list of stuff she does but she is so damn good and she's such a seamless fit into this universe I don't think any other character in any other second or third movie is as seamless a fit as she is into this universe. She Falcon. has completely fucked Sif over because she's replaced her and is far more charismatic. Um, yeah. she is, she's like, a blend of Sif and Jane, but more. I'm just thinking of like other franchises. I don't think Falcon comes across as like easygoing as this in, his, in the second the second Captain America movie. There's no one introduced in Iron Man 2 or 3 that feels like they're going to become a bigger part of this franchise. Even like Scarlet Witch doesn't feel like that. Vision doesn't feel like that. I want more of Valkyrie now. And I want I, a Lady Avenger film with her very prominently a part of it. Yeah, and, and it's why I'm secretly terrified that we've got the Infinity War and Tom Hiddleston and Idris Elba are listed as cast members, but Tessa Thompson isn't. And... I think she is. I think she's been listed somewhere. Is she? I hope so. I hope so. And I'm I hope pretty sure. Not... I mean, I'll look it up. Yeah, Tessa Thompson says the film will make 
Snake fans, happy, blah, blah, blah. Confirmed, Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie in Infinity War. Okay. They surely will not kill her. She is... I don't think they will either, but the way this movie ends, and the way that everything looks like Infinity War is going to start, I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't see how they do a Thor 4 without her very prominently as the ongoing sort of love interest of Thor. For sure. Uh, And I think they're going to do another Thor movie based on this one, but we will see. Jeff Goldblum is the Grandmaster basically just being Jeff Goldblum on command. Really a little bit of Willy Wonka sprinkled in. Yes, and we get the lovely the <laughs> world of pure imagination. Yes, You are meeting the Grandmaster. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> was originally in the run to play Bruce Banner in Ang Lee's Hulk. What? Yeah, fancy that. <laughs> what, what? Yeah, no. What a man, what a man, what a mighty, mighty, mighty good man. He is, of course, the collector's brother. Kevin Feige wants to see these two in a film together. I do not like Benicio Del Toro's chances of making it to any more movies but who knows obviously an enormous amount of improv they didn't paint him blue do you even need to he's just hanging out in robes and just being jeff goldblum again do you think there were as a single line written down that jeff goldblum actually said no well i think they probably wrote the intro for hulk the incredible oh it's very clearly improvised like the, a lot of the stuff when he's like being projected he's like oh look at you ah, it's like oh he's in a fun little double act with Rachel House, who is one of Taika's favourite actresses to work with, has Topaz in a complete redo of her character. She's um, great in Hunt for the World of People. Yes. Like, she's so good. They have a nice little back and forth with her sort of being his straight man and like him giving her little smirks and all that stuff. My favourite, of course, being, I don't like that word, mainframe. No, what problem would I have with mainframe? The <laughs> S word. Sorry. Not slaves. Prisoners with jobs. <laughs> what do we say about <laughs> 142? She's the... the Trash. <laughs> no, were you just waiting to call her that? That doesn't even start with... Anyway, Goldblum's great. I think Tyker and Jeff Goldblum are a match made in heaven, and I'd be stunned if they didn't work together again in the future, because, I mean, if you've seen any of the press they did for this goddamn thing, those two are just in love with each other. I feel like Jeff Goldblum is still coasting on this movie a little bit. A little bit. There's still stuff coming out that Jeff Goldblum's just being like maximum Jeff Goldblum, and I feel like a lot of that is spurred on by we just got a movie where he got to be maximum Jeff Goldblum. Yes, a lot of Jeff Goldblum stories have gotten out since this, including my favourite where he was on a plane and he was reading the woman next to him's book and he felt that she read too slowly, so he asked if he could read it to her. And he did, and I would pay him for not amounts of money to hear that. His giant building with the statues carved into it. We have Beta Ray Bill, Ares... The Man Thing and By Beast. I don't know who By Beast is, but I certainly know those other three. They are his previous champions. His champion, though. Oh god, By Beast is actually spelt like by. Yeah, he is a bisexual beast. Two uh, heads. <laughs> That'd be why then. Does that make it easier to be by? Cutting humor here. His champion is, of course, the Incredible Hulk, played by Mark Ruffalo. So, Banner has been suppressed for two years. Hulk is walking, eating, sleeping, fighting, perhaps more, as Hulk. And potentially more than that, because we do get the line when they crash land on the planet of Loki saying that he's been there for a few weeks. Oh, yeah, so, true. So time moves differently in Sakaar as well. Yeah, because like, obviously like Thor and Loki are separated for all the five minutes in the movie. So Hulk could have been Hulk for God knows how long. Like It's two years Earth time, but... Who knows? Who knows? He has a more advanced vocabulary, for sure. He's not just saying smash and Hulk. He says little sentences. Still not full speech, but a lot closer. Taika had to clear this new pattern of speech with Marvel 
as uh, you know, if he shows up in Infinity War and he can do complete sentences, or if he reverts back to Hulk smash, something's a bit amiss. But I think uh, it is being scaled back slightly from this next time around. Well, I feel like we haven't actually had a proper demonstration of the Hulk outside of battle situations. In Avengers, the first time he comes out, he's a rage monster. The second time, he does seem to have some cognizance because, like, yeah. he recognizes who his allies are. He saves Tony Stark. Well, um, they establish when he turns to Hulk against his will, he is just pure rage, murder everything, barely talk. Whereas when he chooses to turn, he is capable of of more speech and to know who he is and isn't fighting. It's just interesting because obviously, like, he is technically pure rage because Black Widow pushes him off the top of the cliff in Age of Ultron. So yeah. it is it is interesting that he. He has managed to like maintain some semblance of recognition of Thor. Yes. So they've talked about this being the beginning of a new arc for Hulk that will conclude in these two Avengers movies. This is the first time Lou Ferrigno is not contributing to the voice in any way, shape or form. They built a whole new Hulk VFX library of expressions and, and movements. Tyker even jumped in and did some mocap after they'd finished everything with Ruffalo. He was like, no, this. The fight is actually really, really fun. Hulk comes out in his full gladiator gear. He's got giant hammers and all these weapons. And Thor minus hammer instead has, you know, his, his new gear. And he's got that sort of... The redesign of the classic helmet that sort of it manages to evoke that without being goofy it sort of fits the aesthetic of Sakaar and they have this huge fight all over this arena that Thor is actually winning he manages to summon some of his lightning powers without the hammer as a tease to what's coming only for the Grandmaster to shock him the line of like he's a friend from work was suggested by uh, a kid who was visiting the set a make a wish kid so he's immortalised in that line the fight is so good I am so sad that they spoil that Hulk is in this movie. Like, obviously they have to promote it somehow yeah. it's going to get out that Mark Ruffalo's in it, but I'm just imagining being able to sit down and watch this movie and not have any clue that they're doing Planet Hulk. I recognise they're going to Sakaar and stuff like that and being like a comic fan go like, oh, it'd be cool if Hulk showed up at this point and then he bursts out and, like, because the movie builds up to be like a massive reveal, mm. but obviously we live in this era where everyone's seen the trailers, everyone's seen the posters, he's on the box, he's, his name's on it and all the rest of it. Yeah. So it's one of those like dream things where I sit someone down and get to see their reaction of like watching these movies without knowing that they're going to do Hulk at this point. That would have been absolutely mind-blowing. And having Loki in the audience while this happens, he gets to riff on both he's adopted from Avengers because he corrects someone about Thor in this, and then when Hulk grabs Thor and smashes him around like he did to Loki, he goes, yes! <laughs> Which is just a great I, thing to do. I still remember the laugh that went up in the cinema after that, <laughs> that reaction, and I missed the line afterwards of him being like, oh, I'm just really into the fight. Because, like, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of lines in this movie that I was hearing for the first time because I didn't get to hit them in the cinema because I was laughing too hard. When they're fighting, and the Age of Ultron reference where in the fight, Thor starts trying to come Hulk down by doing the Black Widow. Sun's getting sun's, low. Sun's getting low. And it's just like, I think that only works because they've got a connection and not because it's specific words that are being said. And for some reason, that all, I, I was just in hysterics whilst I was watching it last night because uh-huh. it's just, just the idea of... Chris Hemsworth trying to like romance the Hulk and then like obviously Hulk punches him across the room and does the like the smash thing and then you get Loki's reaction afterwards Tom Hiddleston getting to do so much more comedy in this movie that's pure comedy pretty much yeah so obviously he's, he's had the serious role and I mean he doesn't even get to do anything quite as big as in Avengers with his like mewling quim and this is a very different mode but he still completely nails it which yeah. is very much appreciated I like that the beat that follows is kind of the most devastating thing to Loki is that Thor's kind of over him in a way or, or he's not over him he's just sort of like I don't 
know he he just isn't falling for his drama anymore and he's just like Loki do what you want I'm just I love you do what you want yeah. Thor loses the fight due to Grandmaster's interference after many unsuccessful attempts manages to recruit Hulk Valkyrie and even Loki to his side and they, they all escape with the help of fellow gladiators Korg and Meek who begin a revolution. So Taika voices and does motion capture for this rock monster Korg. We have seen members of his species in Thor the Dark World and Guardians 2, but now we have one that talks more, and and Taika based this on Polynesian bouncers he's encountered with this, you know, he wanted him to look big and strong, but have this very soft-spoken character to them, and we have, you know, we have our group, we have our very quotable scene stealing character you know piss off ghost and, and uh, <laughs> new dad piss off ghost is one of my favorite lines but it's only one of my favorite lines because it's doubled with the very ineffective kick yes just after loki, and then trying to kick loki's like glamour after loki has very obviously been gone for like a decent chunk of time <laughs> it's not while he's still there it's after he's gone he then <laughs> runs in and like does a failed kick this is a great little role. I am sure we will see him again in some way, shape, or form in the future. I doubt he's going to try and fight Thanos, but who knows? I do want to give a special shout-out to my favourite core plan, which we might not get to later on, which is, oh, I've just been carrying around Meek's dead body for... Yes! <laughs> oh, I stepped on him in the first... <laughs> I felt so bad, I just carried him around. We get the very fun rock-paper-scissors meta-joke in that the reason Korg is in prison is because he attempted to start a revolution and due to poor leafleting, i.e. paper-defeating Rock, <laughs> he is in prison. And then he kills Meek, or he thinks he does, and what does Meek use as a weapon? Scissor-like blade thing. Genius. Yeah, he, he's great. I like Meek doing his sick moves in the background with his blade while Korg and Thor are talking as well. I hope the listeners realise that we're basically now at the part of the movie where we just list our favourite jokes. That's true. I'm sorry, everyone. And these two are part of the Warbound in Planet Hulk slash World War Hulk. Very different take than that. Slightly, slightly different. <laughs> so we get Naked Hulk for a while here. As Thor hangs out in Hulk champion room, I like that his bed is... I've inferred it to be the jaw of one of those giant space whales from, from Avengers. It probably actually isn't, but that's my headcanon is that he sleeps in the mouth of a dead one of those. Thor, of course, sees his penis. It's in his brain now. That's in his brain. He can't get rid of that. They have their little bickering about, you know, one of them being the, the weak Avenger, the tiny Avenger, the dumb Avenger, the one, you know, everyone on Earth hates you, and then Hulk is, like, so angry about that. So sad, even. Like, throws his arms up. He's so sad. <laughs> Smouldering fire. I'm literally listing jokes. I'm sorry. I knew that we were going to descend into this because <laughs> this movie is so effortlessly quotable. And even though the comedy hit less this time, yeah. like, I think the whole stretch on Sakaar is just so damn good that it's kind of hard not to, like, when we're doing our favourite parts. I mean, I'm going to have to restrain myself from doing the whole Loki snake bit. Well, um, that may be the funniest thing in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> there was one time when we were children, he... He transformed himself into a snake, and he knows that I love snakes. So I went to pick up the snake to admire it, and he transformed back into himself, and he was like, Yeah, it's me! And he stabbed me. It, it feels like a deleted scene. It feels like a blooper, but it's in there. 
a beat that I particularly like is that Hulk consistently refers to Valkyrie as Angry Girl, and for Hulk, <laughs> the pure rage monster, to call someone Angry Girl, I think is really fun. I like the really playful relationship the two of them have. Yes. Like, every time that they're in together, they're bantering and kind of like, like it's almost like a brother-sister relationship yeah. in some ways. Definitely. And it's just a huge smile on his face as he gets pretend beaten up by her. A secret to Thor is that because he's basically indestructible, you can subject him to enormous amounts of punishment for comedic effect, knowing he will be fine. He is punched off screen frequently in previous movies, and in this one, he throws a ball at a window... Which hits him square in the face. And up he get, Which is then played upon later when he comes across Loki, who has done his mirage thing to him. And his first instinct to do is to throw a cup directly at Loki's face. And I like that as well. I like, get help. I like all the fun stuff. I like that that becomes a recurring joke throughout the movie, is if you don't know Loki's there, just throw something at him. Exactly, yeah. To shift back to the dramatic briefly, Thor, in his first escape attempt, realises that Hulk got here on the Quinjet from Age of Ultron, sees it, goes to it, and manages to play the last transmission. A surprise gut punch, as we see in a cameo, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I assume it's the direct footage from the movie. I doubt they got her in to re-record this, but it is when she was attempting to get Hulk to, to turn around in the Quinjet, and instead he made her go away, and off he flew. And I was very surprised to see this. It makes complete sense, so I don't know why I was surprised, but yeah, it was it was quite surprising. They shipped the actual prop over to Australia to achieve this uh, of the Quinja. It's it's one of those things where it's got an actual like continuity to it. This movie has a lot of reference to other stuff that's happening in a movie that like completely destroys the tone of previous movies in the franchise. It very much pays attention to what's come beforehand and pays homage to it. Yeah, that's my whole thing. Like the the biggest takeaway from this is it's really funny and fun and all that, and it sort of flies in the face of what's come before. But at the same time, Taika is a surprise surprisingly good action director and it's got a surprising amount of continuity happening that's why i think it's such a triumph is that it's effortlessly fun for people who are getting a bit sick of these relentless marvel movies constantly coming out but then it's also got all this stuff that we crave for this podcast because we're big giant nerds and i think as i said at the beginning i think some of the action scenes in this are some of the very best ones in the whole mcu the hulk thor fight that's what we've wanted we've had teasers of them doing that fight but even in avengers like it's a very different kind of fight that they're doing between the two of them and then this is basically like what if they get to go all out on each other with no consequences for sure and confirming as I have always suspected Thor would win no because Thor loses no but Thor, Thor was gonna win then no Thor loses though okay I do like that when Ruffalo when Hulk is restored to Ruffalo he's he's very different than he's played Banner before he's got this I think he's fully diving into the improv feel of it and he, it feels like a slightly different character but it's still pretty fun he's just got a bit of an offbeat energy to him this time he is forced to dress up in tony stark's clothes i greatly enjoy the the moment where thor is having to break it to him what's going on i mean at times he looks a little bit like he's threatening to just look directly at camera and, and break scenes but I, th- I think he's he's a fun little element it's interesting to compare ruffalo as banner versus ruffalo as hulk because i think the Hulk performance is like one of the most self-assured performances we've had from hulk in any of these movies hulk feels like a character in this one so much more than he has previously whereas Banner does feel a little bit like Ruffalo doing improv 
Banner had way more of a character in Age of Ultron, whereas in this one, like he's more reactionary and he's like reacting to the weirdness around him. And maybe that is like you could argue that two years as the Hulk has kind of made him be a little bit spacey. And, and he's on not... another planet. But again, like to quote a funny line: "How many PhDs does Hulk have? Zero. How many PhDs do I have? Seven. Which <laughs> that doesn't feel right. Like, does Banner really have seven PhDs? Who has the time when you're also a giant monster? I mean, like, what are you going to do with those? Give them to your son." Yeah. That's a joke for like three people. Uh-huh. And you're one of them and I'm not. So <laughs> they start their big revolution. I mean, the contrivances of Banner being able to fly this ship and all that aside. Thor and Valkyrie leaping from ship to ship, smashing their way back towards each other and then jumping back on and meeting like face to fucking face. It's like, oh, just bone already, will you? It's a lot of fun. And, you know, Grandmaster's orgy ship, firework. I'm listing jokes. Let's move on. So they get back to Asgard and Thor's team of Revengers battle. <laughs> forces. They this actually... movie's really good. I'm having a lot of fun just talking about how good this movie is. Yes, I, I was bummed out that I didn't find it as funny, but I'm now coming back up as we discuss it together. They battle Hellas forces, the gladiators Avec Loki, who, who decides to not betray Thor after initially deciding to betray Thor. They get all the surviving Asgardians aboard. Scourge sacrifices himself to allow their escape. He leaps out with his twin guns, Dez and Troy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thor is absolutely no match for Hela, even with his magical new abilities. Loses an eye during their battle, but then he realises how to defeat her, and he gets Loki to go to the vault, and he touches Surtur's crown to the Eternal Flame, summons Surtur, who enacts Ragnarok, destroying all of Asgard while Thor's team flee. So I think right off the bat we have to point out the obvious homage to the masterpiece that is the Incredible Hulk, where Bruce Banner falls from a large aircraft a very great distance, hoping to turn into Hulk. Doesn't quite work as smoothly this time, <laughs> as he is seemingly just super dead. Super, super dead. But then he, uh, of course, hulks out and battles a giant wolf for a little while. I'm Again, t- we're, we're continuing the tradition of very nondescript people hitting the ground very hard shots in Phase 3. <laughs> That's true. Oh, the Ancient One. Why did they even take you to hospital? You were clearly dead. So we got Rhodey, we've got the Ancient One, we've got Banner. Is there is there any others that hit the ground very hard? I mean... Someone has to in Homecoming. I don't, I don't really remember. I mean, Peter falls a little bit, but... Yeah, I mean, the guard, the Guardians, they all hit the ground very hard, but they all, like, live from it. True. I mean, it's, 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 it's the just, new losing an arm. <laughs> just people falling from a great height and hitting the ground with not very much fanfare for them hitting the ground. It's a good it's a good beat, but watching all these movies in very close succession, like, I'm just like, yeah, they do, they did that a lot in this face. You guys like this joke, don't you? I mean, two of the times it's not a joke, Matt. <laughs> True, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Scourge gets his big moment. The defining moment of this character is that he stood alone at Galabru, a traditionally villainous character who wants to do something good in his life, sacrifices himself so everyone can live. It's very trite, but it is intrinsic to this character, so if you're going to have him, you need to do this. There's I mean, not... this money shot was in the trailers, so everyone was expecting <laughs> expecting it to happen yes. i think it's more surprising that like it's in the trailer so everyone's expecting it to happen and then you watch the movie and you 
you're like, how the fuck are they going to get him from look at my stuff to <laughs> they introduce the guns at the beginning and like you're just like, okay, so I, I see where they're going, but then you watch his character arc throughout the whole movie and you're just like, ah, well, they're yeah. going to have to do some do some stuff at some point. He joins Hela because he's cowardly and doesn't want to die, and then he's super not into executing Asgardians despite being her appointed executioner. So he throws down the axe. Well, at first he just tries to be a big old coward again and just smuggle away on the on the ship, and then he decides to take action. It's it's nice, but very very busy film here so it kind of falls by the wayside so thor in the trailers has both eyes glowing when he discovers his his secret superpowers and we also have to remember that they've released footage from infinity war at comic-con at this point in which thor had both eyes yeah exactly they're going to great lengths to hide the fact that he loses his eye in this fight and i like that the moment he loses it he gains great wisdom in the same way that odin i don't know if it's the same in marvel but odin in norse mythology he sacrificed his eye to gain great knowledge and that's what happens here. Thor loses the eye, he gets a vision of Odin. He, are you the god of hammers or are you the god of thunder? And he unlocks his sort of EX mode where he just super murders more people too. Immigrant song again. Surprised they get away with doing it twice, but it's a hell of a song, so why not? I'm sure it costs a hell of a lot of money for them to have the rights to it. So yeah, and got... Led Zeppelin do not often give the rights. I think Cameron Crowe has done it a few times and School of Rock had this song, but you don't see a lot of Led Zeppelin in film and TV. So no. Again, it's fun just seeing Thor wreck shot. Valkyrie returns to her costume. The, co- the fireworks are going off as she walks down a rainbow bridge and just does great murder. Loki joins in and he's sliding around and doing night. It's just really fun seeing these four like kicking a lot of ass together set to Led Zeppelin. I will say, do you find it weird that Hulk's fight is basically just like its own CGI bubble that <laughs> seems to be taking place in like an entirely different location? Like the sky in Hulk's fight looks nothing like the sky that's going on. <laughs> He's fighting a giant wolf. It's a clear homage to Ang Lee's Hulk, where he fights those giant mutated dogs. I'm not saying it's not choreographed well. It does. It looks awesome. <laughs> it's just um, very it's, off to the side. Yes. You just watch it. And you go like, I understand yeah. more or less ge- geographically where this fight is taking place because I've seen the two previous Thor movies. Yeah. And yeah, but this is like entirely CGI, and there is nothing relating to the rest of the movie. Isn't there promotional point. material where he's standing on the bridge with the other three, and yet that Possib- moment never happens? Possib- Possibly. I mean, there's lots of stuff that gets used yes. in promotion material that gets cut eventually. I like that Thor never once gets the upper hand on Hela. Never once. She is clearly a massive match for him. And instead, his plan of, fuck it, let's blow Asgard up. Because Asgard is not a place, it's a people. As Odin told him, as Heimdall says. And this leads to what is a very obvious sort of backdoor into Infinity War. Because when Loki walks through the, the vault, he sees that Tesseract again. And I think there is no way in hell he doesn't steal it here. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, he's got it in the trailer, doesn't he? But I mean, I think we all knew that, like, the second that happened it was like well loki's gonna have the tesseract again then this confirms prophecies are real i guess in a franchise that doesn't believe in them until now i think it's a fun twist seemingly surtur is sort of a throwaway villain just thrown in for fan service at the beginning and yet it all comes down to him absolutely annihilating asgard at the end yeah i mean the subtitle of this movie is ragnarok and <laughs> it would be a bit, a bit of cop out if ragnarok didn't happen this is true it's very intense and and off they all fly in this ship thor is named king of the survivors 
Reapers and they elect to go to Earth and Thor and Loki have a fun little moment together. It's all very, all very strange to, to end this on such a positive note. Well, actually, Thor 1 ended on a very positive note, didn't it? With like, you know, she searches for you and like the big swelling music, but this is even more so. I mean, the backdrop is all of Asgard's destroyed and Thor's lost everything, but it, I don't know, it just feels kind of nice that they're all just together on this ship. It feels very close. It feels like, it feels like a new start. It feels like they've wiped the slate clean for this franchise and they can do anything they want in the next movie. And then the post credit scene happens. Well, yes. As they are flying toward Earth in what seems like a big nod to the Siege storyline with Asgard floating over Oklahoma, the Sanctuary 2, i.e. the ship of Thanos, looms over them. I remember watching this and a lot of people sort of been like, oh, what's that mean? And I get that. But it's also like, so, this is going to be the first thing that happens in Infinity War then. Yeah, I was working from before this movie, like, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 ends with Nebula running off to go confront Thanos. And I was like, okay, that's going to be the first 15 minutes is going to be Nebula launching a failed attempt to assassinate Thanos. And then this movie ends and it's like, oh, Thanos is there on that ship yeah that that's how this movie is going to open i mean yeah. maybe they'll combine both of those things and nebula's going to run in and blah 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 but well we've like, seen it we've seen the shot in the trailer the last shot of the first trailer is thor very out of breath saying who the hell are you guys the guardians so i think thanos is gonna slaughter some asgardians and thor's I mean, gonna that's, be saved that's, by them that's the biggest thing is right, we close this movie with thor hulk Valkyrie, Loki, and Heimdall, Korg. Korg, all in one place. Four of those people are named in the poster for Infinity War. The only ones that aren't, like, Tyker's not got a credit on the Infinity War poster. Tess Thompson's not got a credit on the Infinity War poster. So it's like, I don't, like, obviously, like, they're all going to have to be there. Like, maybe Tyker doesn't voice Korg or something like that, but I can't imagine he won't. But yeah, like, this this feels like it's the most speculative time, which is just like, I don't know how this movie's going to open, and I don't know how they're going to shuffle people off in this scene who are probably going to have to be shuffled off for them to not have a role in Infinity War. Your post-credit scene is Jeff Goldblum being Jeff Goldblum. An alternate take that I would very much like to see is Jeff Goldblum making up a Sakarian national anthem on the spot to try and rally them back in support of him. There's not a huge amount of miscellaneous stuff really, like Stan Lee plays a barber who cuts Thor's hair. I mentioned the people from, from Loki's little play. Taika plays three characters in this movie. Four, if you include some of his mocap for Hulk, because he also plays one of the heads, a three-headed alien that you see very briefly during the big fight at the end. And Cate Blanchett's youngest son is in here somewhere. Taika consulted Clifford Johnson, who was a theoretical physicist, about a lot of the space stuff. Space stuff, listen how smart I sound. As I said, there's a street on Sakaar called Kirby Way. Also, there's some Jack Kirby artwork visible in the Grandmaster's viewing room all good stuff. I mentioned in Spider-Man Homecoming that that film has the most Oscar winners in it. Depending on whether you count Matt Damon, because he's not credited as appearing in this film, this film also has three, in Damon, Blanchett, and Hopkins. So, you know, take that as you will. So, there we are. That is Ragnarok. As I said, initially coming out of this, I was just elated, just flying high. I rewatched it last night, and as is the thing with a lot of comedy-based films, it didn't land as much for me. I remember my second viewing of Guardians of the Galaxy, I didn't like it as much as i've said on this podcast but then just like that talking through it with you on here and sort of analyzing it i'm i'm high on it again i'm not ever gonna say i think it might be my favorite again uh, as i have done at times but it's for me it's top five material for sure Oh yeah, I mean like, I don't quite have it in my top five, but I've, I've got my god tier Marvel movies, which is like the top three, and then there's the four movies that are kind of hanging out 
on a level below that one and this is <laughs> firmly in that level mm. but that would be spoilers for yes, uh, what yes. we're doing let's not do that our traditional final segment villain watch so on the surface Hela has a lot of the same trappings as most of these MCU villains in that there's not enough development there's not enough time for her it's just she feels a lot more important to me than a lot of these other characters have and I think she's slightly better executed it might just be that Kate Blanche is just such a good actress and is so charismatic and like they nailed the look of her so much but she feels very badass every time she's fighting and she is Thor's first legitimate physical challenge and actually just overcomes him every time and they have to invoke a massive like a hundred foot tall fire demon to maybe not even kill her but we kind of cover this wherein Surtur would be great Hela would be great doing both maybe you lose a little bit from each yeah I don't think this movie has a big villain problem because this is one of those movies which doesn't feel like it needs a villain and I appreciate like, the villain who's here doesn't need much fleshing out this is not going to be one of the best villains ever in a Marvel movie but there's just the right amount of time for them even if I want more from them for like what the movie is I don't want to sacrifice stuff on Sakaar to spend more time with Hela on Asgard if Thor isn't going to be there but then I also appreciate that she looks awesome she almost manages to make it into like the top tier of Marvel stuff but because she is separated from the heroes for so much of it she does suffer from that I think Thor works well when it's a lot of monsters, a lot of one versus many. Obviously there are some great Thor stories where he's sort of trading dialogue with one charismatic villain, but I don't think that's as necessary because it's it's high fantasy, it's it's the locations and the, and the weird and wonderful. And I think overall this movie, I don't think it has a villain problem at all. It's just you wouldn't be able to stand there and say, Hela's one of the top villains. So I do want to ask you, it's obviously like Hela, Serta, to some degree Skirt, also counts a villain. What do we think about the only recurring villain to be in all three movies of their franchise, Loki? It's it's a big problem in that you want to see more of him because he's so good, but then it's also like you can't have Loki in your next movie, but then he has to be. I'm glad that they didn't... It seemed like they were going with Loki as the main villain again for this one with the cliffhanger ending last time. I'm glad they walked it back. I feel he's had a full, complete journey at this point, and if he dies in the first ten minutes of Infinity War, as it seems he might, as speculation is and i think he's had a hell of a run he's the best villain they've done and we've had him be pure comedy we've seen him now revert to full good as opposed to sort of betraying good with secret bad intentions i think the look of him is a little bit like the wig looks a bit wrong here but he's there for the ride you can't leave him out and i think this improv heavy film it lets him go to some slightly different places yeah i appreciate that tom hills comes back i wish there were more villains like him in the end MCU where he gets to stick around and feel like an actual comic book villain because obviously like comic book villains don't die no they're always ready to be like and this is the person that was behind that and they're there for incidental scenes and and all that kind of stuff and yeah Yeah. most MCU villains die or aren't memorable enough for you to want them to come back whereas he has always lingered I do wish they had the courage to just leave him out and then bring him back down the line but we'll see what happens maybe he dies and comes back as a child for a while or a woman don't tease me Matt with kid Loki don't the villains are all good I don't they're not the worst villains of phase three they're not the best villains of phase three it's well, phase it's three probably... boasts two like number two and number three of, of all time so quite difficult to fuck with yeah it's just that they're good but they're not great i appreciate that's where we're at with phase three is i don't think any of the villains really suck in phase three no they don't everything kind of like is very functional and works really well so 
Yes, for sure. To the third act, obviously the Sakaar stuff is more fun than the Asgard stuff, but I, I still think it's a fun ending. I, I don't think it's a case of, oh, it's fun, and then they fuck the ending at all. Yeah, I think act one is weaker than phase three. And if we're talking about these movies having a third act problem, I think my issues with act three stem more from the weirdness of the Hulk fight feeling completely separate but I still think it manages to maintains the tone we still get Banner smashing his face into the rainbow bridge <laughs> we do get the awesomeness of the immigrant song kicking in we get Scourge's last stand but there's a lot of really great visuals here it does feel like a conclusion to this movie that is surprising but this movie is act two or like the middle hour of this movie is where the real joy is outstanding performance the, the all Marvel pantheon as it were very clearly Tess Thompson as I said earlier yeah it's also the first movie that has Hiddleston in it that we're not even discussing him being an option No. Chris Hemsworth has been a charismatic force in Marvel from the earliest days, from being an actor no one had heard of that surprisingly holds his own with much better actors to becoming one of the more likeable characters in the MCU. An actor that we have seen become an enormous star over the years and he's just had to be in not great material for Marvel and for him to finally get to actually get this cool movie where he he gets to play to his strengths. He's just really unlucky in that Tessa Thompson is amazing and I'm not willing to use our two spare picks because Black Panther is our next episode and a lot of people are good in that movie. So shout out to him. He gets his... I feel it's all like a nice... Maybe not the end of his journey, but after making two films that are frustrating for different reasons, he finally gets this outing. But Tessa is so much better. Oh yeah, Tessa is Tessa is otherworldly, and the fact they haven't announced Valkyrie yet is shocking in some ways. I have six Um, different pictures of her that are options for the poster for this episode that I'm trying to choose between, which says a lot. She she comes in, she just wrecks shop and then leaves, and she is fantastic, and I want more of her, and that is the best thing that we can say about one of these performances is that like I think of all 18 performances we're going to have at the end of this hers is the one that I probably feel the most passionate about in a lot of ways in some ways it's a Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man 1-esque coming out party look I can carry a movie I mean you've been sleeping if you don't realise that she's good but it's a massive blockbuster movie wherein she's the best thing in it and she's the newcomer and you are so ready to see more of her yeah I mean like we're obviously not going to rank these performances but with Downey Jr with Hiddleston with Chris Evans I think Tessa Thompson makes such an indelible mark that I want her to have a solo movie I want her to get the chance to be a face of this franchise going forward because I think not only is it important to have someone like Tessa Thompson be the fa- a face of this franchise going forward but also she's just so damn good that I think she could carry a movie so easily and then in Hemsworth defense I think he actually has the most hitting jokes in this movie he also like, has I think the highest volume of them he does but like I, I generally think like on a on a percentage level I think almost everything out of his mouth hits I don't think there's many lines in this movie that I can think of that fail from him or like physical gags the goddamn snake story <laughs> so not only can he do that because his delivery of that snake story is astounding like I want to analyze the way he says that story because it's so fascinating in terms of the cadence of it and how he speeds up and slows down throughout it how tessa and mark don't just laugh during that i don't know also that scene is fun when she keeps saying that she feels like she knows him too like the facial (laughs) expressions she's doing there are amazing chris hemsworth is like a looney tunes character at some points in this movie (laughs) when he throws the ball at at the window and then comes back and like just this really satisfying he falls down and then like straight back up again yeah because he's indestructible so you just hurt him loads (laughs) yeah Okay. 
there we go. That's Ragnarok. So it gets a little bit weird from here with our schedule, which I've had to frantically consult a calendar to work some stuff out. I believe the next thing you'll hear from us will be a special bonus episode, a crossover with the Superhero Pantheon, which is another superhero podcast from friend of the site, Jerome Kisong. They just look at every comic book movie, in theory, and try and decide if it's in the Hall of Fame or the Pile of Shame. And he approached us about doing a joint Infinity War preview, which should release kind of like the week before Infinity War comes out. Then after that will be Black Panther, obviously. We recorded that when that movie actually came out, and I've just been sitting on that audio. Since then, it's made all the money on Earth, so we'll have to add some little things in there. I'm seeing it tomorrow morning again, so yes. I can be fresh for discussion of that one. Then we will follow that with the 10-year retrospective MCU Look Back podcast, where we will finish up this, the all-Marvel. We'll look at the trends, we'll look at some numbers, we'll have some favourite moments, we'll just assess how this shared universe thing has gone down. And then we'll be our review of Infinity War. You will basically have a week to be spoiler-free because we will then just spoil the hell out of it. Once upon a time, before Marvel fucked with the schedule, we were going to get to see it a week before America, so we would have had all the time to just see it casually and get it out for release day, but oh no, they didn't want that. So instead, we're going to be dropping a week after the movie comes out. It is what it is. We wanted that 10-year date. And so all of our podcasts come out on Wednesdays, pretty much. And this one will come out on a Friday, the Infinity War one. But yes, next time, long story short, will be that crossover bonus episode, followed by Black Panther, followed by the 10-year retrospective, followed by Infinity War. And then you won't have to hear from us, maybe ever again, until Ant-Man and the Wasp. This has been a lot of fun. Let's all go listen to The Immigrant Song again.